When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's rare to find a gift that you know everyone on your list will love. That's what you get with an incredibly soft blanket from Minky Couture. With hundreds of different styles and sizes of Minky Couture blankets, you'll find a gift that they are sure to love every single day of the year. Shop the best deals of the season at MinkyCouture.com. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome back, MD Nation. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at BillyUpMDFM Show or on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Subscribe as soon as you get the opportunity to do so. Highly recommend it. Also, follow us along on your favorite pod streaming app, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever, Spreaker especially. And of course, we're also going to be on the Unhinged Radio Network on Tuesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. And... We're on the Fox D Network on the Roku channel, which is going to be opening up real, real soon. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that and more. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We got the Sunday Week 5 recap to talk about in today's show. But first and foremost, the biggest news of the weekend just broke moments before the show. Breaking news. John Gruden is gone. Gone. The New York Times uncovered a... You know, paper trail that proved it was more than just that one email where he slurred and was negative uh, towards a wide ranging group of people. It, it wasn't just race. It was race. It was homophobic. It was misogynistic. It was a whole a whole lot of things uh, went off on Roger Goodell. And there's a whole string of emails basically they uncovered. So it was more than just a one time event. And it was more than just from one time from, you know, 10 years ago, whatever the first email was that we heard about over the weekend. 
he decides, you know, Davis sits down, meet with Gruden, and they decide to part ways. He is going to officially resign, and taking his place is Rich Pisaki. He's going to be the interim head coach. He was the assistant coach. Look, this is going to be a lot to unpack. What's the fantasy football involvement? Because that's what this show is about. It's, it's going to matter. I mean, this is John Gruden's offense. So I don't think I don't expect things to drastically change here for the Raiders, whether it's running the ball more, being more aggressive, or, or the system, anything like that. No, nothing's going to change too drastically for the rest of this year. But you know what? Raider fans out there, I know you guys might be feeling down a little bit right now. Honestly, I think this is the best thing that could have happened to you guys. Gruden has still been struggling to get himself into the 21st century. And I know the Raiders right now have an above 500 record. But they're starting to slip the same way they started to slip last year. Gruden was never going to be the coach to take you to the promised land. So you know what? This is not the outcome you want. You know you wanted. This is not the public eye that you would like on your favorite team. I get it. But honestly, I think it was probably the best thing for you guys in the long run to have Gruden exit at some point. Now it's just a shame it's going to be about this. Fantasy football-wise, again, nothing's going to change drastically right off the bat. I mean, Darren Waller is still the number one pass catcher there. Josh Jacobs is still a good running back now that he's back and healthy. The receivers are still not trustworthy because he's either getting spread out to all of them or one of them's catching a bomb. Derek Carr is still a streaming option. So nothing really is going to change, I believe, too drastically for this team in any any sort of way, fantasy football-wise. But we had to kick the show off because that, that just happened moments before we went live. And I'm glad we went live a little bit later than we normally would uh, for that to come through. So normally speaking, we are going to be live 9.30 on Monday nights to talk about the recap. 10 a.m. Tuesdays for the waiver wire report and the primetime recaps. And then, of course, we'll be back on Wednesday nights. Somewhere between 9 and 9.30, we'll go live, talk about the Thursday night preview, the early Sunday window preview. And then Thursday night, we're going live at 8.30. It's going to be a Thursday night game cast with preview matchups for the late Sunday, Sunday night, and Monday night games for the upcoming week. And if I say the Thursday night game cast, because, you know, if anything big happens, we'll be live during that Thursday night game. So if a big play happens, an injury happens, a score happens, something like that, we'll react to it live while we're doing the previews for the rest of the week on Thursday nights. All an hour and a half, except for the Tuesday show, which is an hour. That, that doesn't change. And on Friday night from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we'll be talking about the MDs, DFS, contests, and lock bets of the week with Mr. Chaz Florida, like we did this past Friday. So we are officially in the new schedule. And now, without further ado, let's officially get into some actual content you guys here to check out. Let's dissect. Let's start off with the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. A lot of injury news to go over. We'll start with the Giants side of the ball. So you got Daniel Jones. He's going through concussion protocol. We'll have to see. We know with these things, we never really know exactly what's going to happen. It will be a really good sign if he can practice on a Wednesday. It'll still be okay as long as he can practice by Thursday. If he can't practice by Wednesday or Thursday, pretty good chance he will not clear the concussion pro- protocol, be able to play on Sunday. Now, of course, if Daniel Jones can't go, that's going to greatly affect a lot of the fantasy value that could or could not be had. Kenny Galladay, good news, ultimately, hyperextension knee, not a major injury, but the word seems to be, or the belief seems to be, as of this time, Kenny Galladay will not play in week six. Saquon Barkley, 
also ultimately good news. Now, they didn't quite clarify everything. The only report we got was from Ian Rappaport about the ankle sprain and it being two to four weeks and it being a low ankle sprain. Obviously, you always want the low ankle sprain compared to the high ankle sprain for sure. Joe Judge saying some things today to give you a little bit more optimism, saying that Barkley, the, the news on Barkley after the test was even better than I guess they were expecting. So that's good. So I wouldn't plan on having Barkley this week. But there could be it could be in the cards that maybe he comes back week seven. Maybe you only miss one week of Saquon Barkley. I think it's I think you are in a position where you can have that hope as of right now, based on what we've heard so far to this point. Kadarius Tony, he hurts. He gets a low ankle sprain. Now we have to wait and see what's gonna happen with him. He's gonna be in question all week long after the big game that he had. But you also have to figure. Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, we're getting closer to coming back. They could both be back this week. So that's going to lead us to what we got to talk about the New York Giants. So obviously, Kadarius Toney was the big fantasy star of the day when it comes to the Giants. 10 receptions, 189 yards, 13 targets. Was the only guy left standing. I mean, Kenny Galladay went out early in this game. Saquon Barkley went out early in this game. It's pretty much him and Evan Ingram and, what, John Ross? who had one catch for 13 yards on five targets. He was pretty much the last guy left standing. And in this offense, whether it's Daniel Jones or, you know, Mike Glennon, whoever else you want to throw out there, this offense designed to get the slot receiver, the number one read the ball. Whether it's because Daniel Jones prefers it that way, whether it's the offense being built that way. In this case, there's nobody left but Katerius Tony, so you had to get him the ball. But whoever is operating in that slot, in that middle part of the field, in this offense, they are more guaranteed a consistent target share from a week to week basis. That's why we've seen Kenny Galladay outside of one game last week be incredibly disappointing and why Sterling Shepard until he got hurt with the hamstring injury had been the number one receiver for the New York Giants. So expect to continue to see that. So if Shepard comes back this week, he'll get his slot receiver job back. Because let's say let's say Tony's healthy and Slayton's out there. Tony and Slayton will probably play the outside. Shepard will get still get the man in the slot position, meaning he I would anticipate him being the number one receiver for the New York Giants. So I got to say that don't get overly excited about what you saw about Kadarius Toney. I don't think he had a great performance. Don't get me wrong. But the way this offense is built, the way they do love Sterling Shepard, the role Darius Slayton has, the fact that Kenny Galladay will probably miss this week, there's a real chance Kadarius Toney goes back to being irrelevant sooner rather than later. And we don't even know if he's going to be able to play. We'll have to watch that. We will keep you guys up to date on social media, at Show. The entire week. So make sure you're following us along on there. Again, we talk about Saquon Barkley. Who comes in? Devontae Booker. You know he's going to be on the waiver report tomorrow morning when we talk about that. 16 carries, 40 yards. Gets one touchdown on the ground. Gets another receiving touchdown. Three receptions, 16 yards. Keep in mind about Devontae Booker. couple things. One, we're not expecting a long-term injury of Saquon Barkley. That's the good news. Two, he's very inefficient. 2.6 yards to carry. He's not a very good running back. He's just a guy. We've seen him in situations where he's supposed to get all the work and he falls flat on his face anyway. Doesn't matter. You know what's what's sad here for the Giants? Evan Ingram. Doesn't seem to matter. Everyone could be down on the ground and Evan Ingram will still be only minimally involved in the offense. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you can go to at any point this season. Just not. Just not a streamer. He's outside my streaming range of tight ends. That's all we can really talk about the Giants. We'll be talking about them a lot this week because of the injury updates. But as of right now, it's hard to get a gauge on what to expect out of them moving forward, what to take out of this game when everybody was hurt. Everybody went down. Everybody got even more banged up in this game. 
You go to Dallas Cowboys side of the ball. You got what you needed. All right. Wasn't necessarily pretty in the passing game, but you got what you needed from a fantasy standpoint from every player on this team. After last week, it really was just the running backs. You got nothing out of Dak, nothing out of CD. You had the touchdown of Amari Cooper to, to save you. Kind of similar here with Amari Cooper. Again, you get the touchdown to save you. He's still banged up, and it's clear he's just not 100% right now. Three, three receptions, 60 yards on six targets. Does get the touchdown, but CeeDee Lamb comes back. Four receptions, 84 yards. Had a big 49-yard touchdown early on in the game. The only thing you're kind of upset about is that oh, that's all he really wound up doing for most of the game. However, you look at this game, 44-20. to 20, The Dallas Cowboys completely dominated. Mike Lennon was in the game. They just ran the ball. I know it's sounding kind of redundant because now we've had to talk about the last few weeks now where the Cowboys have been able to win these games playing decent defense and just running the football. And you begin to start to wonder, well, okay, where's the explosiveness? Where's the the big fantasy playmakers I'm looking for out of a Dak, out of a CD, out of Amari Cooper? It's coming. They're not going to play the NFC East forever. Okay? You got, you got better days are definitely ahead when you're looking at this squad. I have absolutely no doubt about it. But you got to love that you got the touchdowns for the wide receivers that you wanted. You also got to love the eight targets, six receptions, 79 yards, and Dalton Schultz. That's three weeks in a row now. This guy is going to be a top 12 tight end. He is a must play. And what continues to be really good for him and what continues to be why I think it will be stable for him to continue to be in that range of tight ends who pretty much you're a must start every single week. That's basically what it boils down to. He has taken the lead completely away. I talked about this last week. I was ready to jump on it because it had been two weeks in a row that he performed. But the other key thing is that last week, he clearly played ahead of Blake Jarwin. That continued here today. 57 snaps to Blake Jarwin's 31. 25 routes run to Jarwin's 10. And, of course, the biggest factor, eight targets to his zero. Blake Jarwin had zero targets in this game. So with Dalton Schultz now taking the lead. Now, I still have a question of how involved does he stay when Michael Gallup comes back? Already having an issue with the Cowboys not necessarily needing to throw the ball all the time now because their defense is actually a competent one. What happens when Michael Gallup gets back into the mix? Is there going to be enough for Dalton Schultz to eat? Until that happens, he is a top 10 tight end for me. He's a must play. But when that happens, keep your eye on alert. Dalton Schultz may not be a guy that you could turn to for the rest of the season necessarily, depending upon what happens when Gallup returns. So something I just want to keep MD Nation and we keep your guys, your eye on the ball and looking out for that when we get closer to those things. All right, so let's move into another matchup because there's nothing else really to break down there. Uh, I'll mention this. Zeke had a sore back. He's going to be fine. Great game in this one. 21 carries, 110 yards. He had a touchdown. Tony Pollard, nice little performance here. 14 carries, 75 yards. He's still a flex guy in my mind. Four receptions, 28 yards in this game. That's kind of been the thing. He hasn't been as involved in the pass game because, again, they just haven't needed him to be. And that's where he's getting a lot of explosiveness from. That's where he's starting to become a flex play consideration. He's a guy who's going to probably hover between my top 36 and top 40 running backs. So he's always going to be in the conversation of a flex. You know he's a big play away because he's that type of guy. But if anybody had any questions, I think they're all squashed now the last two weeks. Ezekiel Elliott's backfield. And then Pollard gets to, you know, do his little magic after that. But there's nothing changing outside of an injury. So let's move into another board. Well, that you know, that game wasn't boring, but this game was. The Arizona Cardinals, the San Francisco 49ers. We got an in-division defensive matchup. Yes, these things happen from time to time. You get these divisional rivalries. 
It looks like it should be a decent amount of scoring on paper. It winds up turning into a divisional, uh, a defensive slugfest that nobody really gets to win from a fantasy football perspective. I'll start on the Arizona Cardinals side of the ball. Kyler Murray, huge disappointment in this game, especially when you consider all the woes the San Francisco 49ers have had for injuries in the secondary in particular. The way Kyler Murray's been throwing the football, you got DeAndre Hopkins, who looks like he was going to be back and healthy. He was one of my guys. I, I was guaranteeing DeAndre Hopkins to bounce back. And he had a decent game. He didn't have a huge game, but six receptions, 87 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. I'll take that for a bounce back week. The bigger, the bigger thing being that he was back as far as his actual playing time goes. Back to running his normal routes run. Back to those things. Back to the, the process being in place for the results where I no longer fear that DeAndre Hopkins is not going to be what you need him to be as a wide receiver. One, 34 routes run, 56 snaps, had the nine targets in this matchup. Let's think of it this way. He had a really good game. They only scored 17 points. He's back to being that lead guy and concrete himself to be, and he looked healthier. That's the biggest thing, of course, with DeAndre Hopkins. And you're expecting Kyler Murray to be able to take advantage with the wide receivers that he has against a really, what's a miserable secondary for the San Francisco 49ers. Wasn't the case here, and to top it off, he didn't really give you anything with his legs. Ran the ball seven times for a yard. I mean, San Francisco actually held him in check when it came to mobility factor. You're used to, okay, you have a mediocre passing stat line, usually bail you out a rushing touchdown. It didn't happen here. Obviously, Kyle Murray's going to be fine. Obviously, he's a top three quarterback every single week. It was just a disappointing game in this one where the 49ers came with a good game plan defensively against these guys. The running back situation, all right, Chase Edmonds, huge disappointment. He's been an RB2 pretty much consistently every time he's been out there. Keep in mind, he wasn't able to practice till Friday. Limited participant. Actually wound up being a game-time decision. We didn't find out till Sunday morning that he was definitely going to be activated. This game, again, was an ugly little slugfest. Remember, Edmonds' role comes more so in the passing game. Not so much. To, I mean, he does run, but he usually does give a few carries to James Conner who will beat him out in that department. And then they didn't really need him to close it out. They didn't really need him to come back from behind or they didn't have to put their foot to the, the pedal to the metal because there just wasn't a lot of offense in this game in general. I'm not worried about Chase Edmonds all of a sudden. As long as he's healthy, and from what I understand, there were, there were no setbacks suffered on his part. So as long as that continues to be the case, I feel very, very confident in Chase Edmonds continue to be that mid-level, low-end RB2, who because of this up-tempo offense, because of his involvement in the passing game, is still going to be a threat for you every single week. James Conner keeps his touchdown streak alive, though. Now he's got five touchdowns in three games. Only 10 carries for 29 yards. He continues to be incredibly inefficient when he gets to run the football, but he is finding the end zone almost nonstop at this point. I mean, I mean seriously, almost nonstop at this point. So that's what you like. That's what you're happy about. As far as James Conner's concerned, he continues to be that guy you can plug and play as an RB3 because, because he's going to find the end zone. Because his offense is going to get in the red zone a lot, and he has that role on lockdown. Now, if he doesn't score you that touchdown, I don't know what you're going to get fantasy-wise that day, but he continues to be an RB3 for that exact fact. You have DeAndre Hopkins again. We talked about him. Rondale Moore. He looked good in this one. Six six targets, five receptions, 59 yards. Use him as more of a playmaker. Had three rushes for 38 yards in this particular game. You like to see that. You like to see him get more involved. First time all season 
He actually operated ahead of Christian Kirk when it came to routes run, 20 to 18, six to five targets. Kirk still had more snaps, 33 to 29, but it was a much closer uh, rotation. Now, does that continue? That remains to be seen. We know Rondell Moore has sky's the limit opportunity here as far as what his talent is. But this is not, to me, I cannot look at this game and say this is a big indication that he's definitely on his way to having a larger rotation here. I think until A.J. Green completely falls off, which I still expect to happen at some point this season, I think Rondo Moore is still going to have to stay on your benches more times than not and be nothing more than a dart throw, especially when you're talking about 12-man leagues in your flex opportunities. That's kind of more my thing of where that's at. And I don't think it's going to change really anytime soon either. Now, uh, we have Chris, excuse me, I lost my train of thought. Christian Kirk, five receptions, 39 yards, five targets. These guys, they all need to be owned. With the exception of A.J. Green, he gets smacked back down the earth in this game. One reception, 13 yards, two targets. There's just there's no upside there with A.J. Green. I don't know when you're ever going to feel safe playing him. You have to keep holding on to these guys until this whole thing shakes out. This is too good of an offense, too up-tempo, where a lot of guys can eat. You just need A.J. Green to get out of the way. That's really what it boils down to. Now let's go to San Francisco side. Trey Lance apparently picked up a knee sprain. So the 49ers are going into the bye week. Lance started... Really didn't look good as a passer to me. Was, you know, about 50% completion percentage again like he was a week ago. Still looks like he has trouble reading defenses. The offense was built in the way that I thought it would. It was built around Trey Lance being essentially a running back. Essentially being a Taysom Hill. That's what it looked like to me. Looked like a Taysom Hill out there. 16 carries, 89 yards. Now, from a fantasy standpoint, this is the type of offense you can expect them to run if and or when he takes over the starting job for good for this season. And that might happen, especially if they keep losing games. So you know from a fantasy standpoint, the rushing will give him this floor that you can definitely take to the bank without a doubt. So you're happy about that standpoint. However, he's still a terrible passer. Not a lot of weapons for the 49ers. You got Debo, great. George Kittle out in IR, might be back in a couple of weeks. Still not getting Brandon Ayuk involved. So as far as the the pass catchers go, even the running backs, if you have anybody besides Trey Lance, you want Jimmy Garoppolo starting. He's better for the wide receivers. He's better for the running backs in his offense. So pretty much the 49ers are a more fantasy-relevant team when Trey Lance is not in the lineup. I don't think he's going to be in the lineup either, by the way. I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. The reason being is that not only have the knee sprain thing to worry about, and they're already already talking about that he may not be able to play two weeks from now. Now, I feel like they're kind of jumping the gun when they said that. And I feel like it was more of a PR move than an actual, we don't think he's going to be there week seven. Now, it may be a multiple-week injury thing. Again, it's a knee sprain. I'm not disputing that part. But I thought it was weird that going into a bye week, you made sure the Monday of the bye week to already put it out there, you may not be able to play week seven. Trying to set it up as... Jimmy Garoppolo, you come back after the bye week. That's our quarterback. And we're setting up not necessarily because we're going back to Garoppolo, but because we have the knee injury thing. We still lost the game, yada, yada, yada. So I felt like it was a little bit of a PR move to come out and announce that already today that he won't, that there's a good chance he won't play in week seven. I just thought that was kind of weird. So I think we are going to see Jimmy Garoppolo. If I had a bet on it right now, I think we're going to see Jimmy Garoppolo week seven against the Colts, which is good for Debo. 
if Kittle's back by, I don't know if Kittle would be, I think it would be that week or the week after Kittle would be eligible for IR. But it's better for Kittle, better for him, and Elijah Mitchell. Now, Mitchell didn't have a great game in this one, but nine carries, 43 yards, tacked on a couple targets, two catches, 19 yards. Uh, Juice Check still acted as a third down back quite a bit. Pass protection, had four targets, three catches, 35 yards. But the big thing about Elijah Mitchell, Trey Sermon only had two carry or two snaps, excuse me, in this game. That's it. That's it. So Trey Sermon, guess what, bud? Prepare to be flushed. See ya. You're nothing more than a handcuff. And to top it all off, I don't know if you're going to be handcuffed to Elijah Mitchell all season. What happens when Jeff Wilson comes back? Now, pup-wise, he's eligible to come back in Week 7. The 49ers saying that they are their hope was that he'd be back by late November. So they're suggesting he still has another probably six weeks to go before he's back. But you expect to be back before the season's over. Now, will the 49ers be in playoff contention at that point? Will it be worth it for them to bring back Jeff Wilson to take away playing time from their rookies? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, we don't know what, what the season's going to hold at that point in that, in, that, in that time. Right now, San Francisco doesn't look like a very good team. But let's say they are in playoff contention. Jeff Wilson comes back. He Trey Sermon might not be the handcuff to Elijah Mitchell anymore at that point. So that's where it gets really, really interesting. There's no real reason to hold him again. He's nothing more than a handcuff to Elijah Mitchell. That's it. They've made it clear. Mitchell's starting running back. And this was going to be the game to tell you because Mitchell's going to be the first game back. And Sermon had a decent game last week. So this was going to tell you whether or not he was actually going to be a factor. He's not. He's not. We got our answer to that. This is Elijah Mitchell's backfield until further notice. So you know what to do with that fantasy-wise. And Mitchell becomes a guy who should at least be considered a low-end RB2 and depending on the matchup, maybe a mid-level to higher end with some upside. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Debo Samuel, nine targets in this game. I know it's only three receptions, 58 yards, but again, nine targets. So what that shows you is that whether it's Trey Lance, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, Debo is the guy they're going to game plan to get the ball to. Brandon Ayuk, we can hit this for Brandon. I think I already hit this for Brandon Ayuk, but we'll hit it again here just to be safe for MD Nation. Prepare to be flushed. This was really it. There was one last hope for Ayuk. What would happen if you switched from Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance? How would the offense change? How would the change in quarterback target out, distribute the the, the workload? 
between the receivers. Would Ayuk maybe get more shots down the field? None of that. None of that came to fruition. What this game showed you is that unless Debo gets hurt, which she'll probably a half-decent bet, but unless Debo gets hurt, I don't expect Brian Ayuk to be very utilized. Whatever it is that's going on with him and Shanahan or that system in general, that's what we're looking at. I don't expect to see him get very w- utilized very much. It's unfortunate, but that's what we're looking at. So there's no real reason to own Brandon Ayuk, especially not going into the bye week. Especially not going into the bye week. All right, let's go into Chicago and Las Vegas here. So we got the big news out of the way. John Gruden, no longer the head coach of the Vegas Raiders, goes out on a 20-9 brutal game to watch loss for the Raiders, by the way. Derek Carr is strictly a streaming quarterback only. He's now off the snide where he's throwing 300 yards against everybody. Last two games in a row, barely gets over 200 yards here. Didn't even make 200 yards last week. I still think he is a streaming option. He's still being more aggressive this season than he typically is. And his weapons, while still not great for fantasy football purposes, are developing. Henry Ruggs is starting to take a little bit of a step up in his development. Brian Edwards is starting to take a little bit of a step up in his development. And of course, you have Darren Waller to anchor, anchor the whole thing down. So I do think there's going to be games in which you can stream Derek Carr. Chicago was not going to be one of them for me. He was nowhere near my streaming quarterback range to begin with. Hunter Renfro continues to be the most consistent guy. Eight targets as far as the receivers go. Eight targets, six receptions, 56 yards. Darren Waller disappointing in this game, but you're not going to change anything there. Four receptions, 45 yards, eight targets. Ties with Renfro for the most targets on the team. Better days are ahead for Darren Waller, right? Nothing really else to take out from that. Henry Ruggs, three receptions on three targets, 51 yards. And then Brian Edwards, who continues to be the lowest one for me. I mean, if if I had to rank these wide receivers for fantasy football purposes, it'd be Hunter Renfro one, Henry Ruggs two, Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards continues to play the most out of all of them. Has the most routes run, most snaps, has every single week. But he's the least targeted guy out of the bunch. So he's just out there basically as a big body glorified blocker. Again, we'll see if anything changes with John Gruden being gone. I doubt anything drastically would. I will be curious about this, though. With Gruden gone, we know that we know he latches on the guys. And we know that once you're in his doghouse, it's very, very difficult to get out. I do wonder how Gruden being gone might affect the Canyon Drake usage. Because it was the non-factor again today. Again, non-factor. Two carries, 11 yards, had one target. And this guy's getting paid how much money? Now, if you're a Josh Jacobs owner, you were super happy with what you got. Because you got, not only did you get the 15 carries and 48 yards and the rushing touchdown to give you an okay fantasy day and what was otherwise a terrible game for the Raiders in general anyway, you also got five targets, four receptions, and 19 yards. Josh Jacobs was a leading pass catcher. Which is something as Josh Jacobs fantasy, you know, players been clamoring for since he's been in the league. Like, hey, this guy can catch the ball. And he's never allowed to be in that situation where he could just be a full workhorse back. He was allowed to be in that situation this game. 20 routes run compared to Kenyon Drake, who had six, and Jalen Richard, who had eight. He was a workhorse. Does that continue? That's what as a Josh Jacobs owner, that's what you have your eyes on. You want that to continue because if that continues. Jacobs could come back and be a top 12 running back again by the end of the season. And while you drafted him in the third round this year because everybody was down on him with the Kenyon Drake signing, 
he could maybe get back to that top 10 that he normally is over the past couple of years for fantasy football if that trend can continue. So we'll keep our eye on it. On Chicago's side, look, they got two wins now. Bill Lader's been the offensive coordinator for two weeks. And they went from being one and two to two the two and zero oh in that stretch. So now they're three and two total. Now, has it been everything you want fantasy wise? No, Justin Fields, for being a mobile quarterback, you can't play him because he doesn't actually let him use his legs. They're running the ball, but they're not using Fields to do it. And he only had three attempts for four yards in this game, 111 yards passing, a touchdown. They're doing everything they can to make it as simple as possible in a Justin Fields, which is fine. He's a rookie quarterback. He was coming in with not the best acumen for being able to read defenses anyway. Had some development into that sense. That's fine. I'm shocked I'm not using his legs. That takes me by a huge surprise considering his skill set and how explosive he can be in that department. So, yes, that part surprises me 100%. No, No doubt about it. However... The running game is there for Chicago. Running game is huge for Chicago. Justin, uh, Khalil Herbert, and Damian Williams. So that's what we got to get into. That's what everybody's talking about, right? It wound up being a 50-50 split. Not even. Herbert actually outsnaps Damian Williams 34-31. Outcarries Damian Williams 18-16. And really, there wasn't a big discrepancy in the passing game either. Now, that is more Damian Williams' territory. And I would suspect that if they were in a situation where they were actually trailing this game, and they weren't at any point. I mean, they, they were in control of this game from start to finish. But if they were playing as a better team and they were trailing in the second half, I'd have to suspect Damian Williams with his skill set would be the guy out there. That would be my anticipation. In this game, being that it was an even keel throughout, Herbert got to run almost as many routes run as Damian Williams. It was it was 10 to 7 in favor of Williams. Now, target-wise, Williams is the only one who gets on the box score here. He gets, you know, two targets or three targets, two receptions, 20 yards in this one. Cleo Herbert coming out. I like Cleo Herbert a lot coming out of college. And I think he would have been drafted higher had he not had to transfer between Kansas and Virginia Tech in his collegiate career. Because of all the runners, he's one of the better pure runners in this draft. He's not a great pass catcher, not a great pass blocker. So I was a little surprised to see that that was as close as it was, but also keep in mind the situation. He played a little bit more on snaps, got a little bit more, he got the opportunity to run some routes on second and medium, but wasn't targeted once. Again, when they play somebody that'll actually have to throw the ball against, I expect Damian Williams to take over that role, which is why Damian Williams will still be the more valuable back until David Montgomery comes back, in my estimation. I will have him ranked higher than a Clue Herbert, continuing on moving forward. Is this enough of a usage to maybe knock Williams from being a mid-level RB2 who you're expecting to get a workhorse load to maybe being a lower-end RB2 and a tougher matchup, maybe a higher-end RB3? Yeah, possibly, because I don't think this was a fluke. Maybe they're not in this kind of a pro game script all the time because they're Chicago, but I don't think this was a fluke as far as wanting to use both Herbert and Williams in the rushing game. I don't think that was a fluke. So basically, if you went out there and you got Damian Williams and you're not the David Montgomery owner, I think you actually need to protect yourself if you can. Can't just waste roster spots. But if you can go out there and get Khalil Herbert, I think you might need to because all that money you invested, all that priority you invested in getting Damian Williams last week, 
could get thrown by the wayside immediately if this kind of a split continues and or Williams gets hurt, which he's never been a model of health to begin with. So I think to protect your investment that you made to get Damien, I think you have to go get Cleo Herbert. And if you're a David Montgomery owner and you're able to get Williams, well, I think you got to go get Herbert. At this point, make sure you have the Chicago backfield. You have to. You absolutely have to. We'll talk about more of that in the waiver wire report tomorrow morning from 10 to 11 p uh, 10 to 11 a.m. at Belly Up MDFF Show and on the YouTube channel. So let's get to the wide receivers. Darnell Mooney and Al Robinson both get five targets apiece. Very unimpressive, as you suspect, because the passing games were non-existent in this matchup anyway. Three receptions, 35 yards for Mooney. Four receptions, 32 yards for Allen Robinson. So this is the part where it's been a little bit confusing. Bill Lazor takes over, and usually he does a very good job of getting the ball to his number one wide receiver. Now, they've been so heavy on the run, and because it was Detroit and the Raiders, they got to play back-to-back weeks since he's taken over. They haven't had to get away from the run. And when they do throw the ball, they're taking play-action shots off of, which is nice. That's fine. At some point, the volume of the pass game is going to have to tick up. Now, I know Allen Robinson is frustrating as hell, and at this point, he's been so frustrating that I'm not even saying necessarily go buy low on him. I still believe he's a better wide receiver than what he's been giving. I still believe that he will turn a corner and get back to at least somewhat closer to what we expect out of Allen Robinson at least be a starting receiver every single week for you and actually expect decent production out of. But right now, it's been so bad for over a month now that I don't think you can go ahead and trade him because right now, the people who have him wish they didn't have to start him, wish they didn't have to have him. You can't drop him. You can't necessarily bench him depending on what you had. Remember, Allen Robinson, you drafted him to be a borderline wide receiver one at least a very high-end wide receiver, too, on your teams. I'd be hard-pressed to see if you guys have better options. So he's just he's just killing teams right now. I still think he's going to be better than Darnell Mooney the rest of the way. I know that they feel to Mooney have had that rapport so far this season. I don't think that's going to always continue. But right now, Allen Robinson, you have to hold him. You have to wait for a game script in which you think Chicago is going to be forced into having to throw the ball more than what they've had the past couple of weeks, I think, in order to play him. Otherwise, I'd look for other reasons not to have to play him. And I hate to say it, but if you can sell him based on name value for something for something decent right now that helps your team immediately, especially with the bye weeks coming up, do it. Because that's the other problem with this. Bye weeks start this week. So if you got a guy that you feel like you can't play and you got bye weeks coming up, if you can get something valuable for him because of the name recognition, which you still possibly can because of Allen Robinson, do it. Conversely, if you can get something, you know, pennies on the dollar for an Allen Robinson, I'm still not against doing that because, again, he's a better receiver than what we're getting. Bill Lazor is calling a play. Justin Fields is the quarterback. They're in the better situation. I have to think this turns a corner when they play in not as you know pro game scripts for them as this one here. Let's continue on. Let's talk about the the big shootout of the week. The Browns, the Chargers. How fun was this game? How much fun was this game? Justin Herbert. I feel a little bit bad because I had my QB 13. 
I didn't have him inside my top 12. Now, I said that if you, dra- if you drafted Justin Herbert to be your QB1, that I was not going to go out of my way to pick up another quarterback who made my top 12 and stream them over Herbert. I would just play Herbert. But the Browns have been a pretty good defense. They've been a really good defense up until this point. I never imagined the Chargers walking in there and putting up 47 points. That was That was not in my mental range of outcomes for this game. Total by surprise, but being that QB one that you wanted him to be 398 yards, four passing touchdowns, tax on 29 yards and a rushing touchdown on top of it. Phenomenal. Herbert is a QB one. You continue to play him as such. Now, do I think he's top five on a week to week basis? No, there's a lot of quarterbacks playing really well right now. that have been a little bit more consistent fantasy wise up until this point. I don't think he's top five, but is he top 10 rest of the season? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because the big reason why is he has more weapons than he's ever had in the sense of he can go to other people outside of Keenan Allen and get wide receiver one level production. Obviously, I'm talking about Mike Williams. Eight receptions, 165 yards, and two touchdowns on 16 targets. I told everybody last week when he had the one catch for 10 yards that he was not going to go back to the Mike Williams of old. Different offense, running a different route trees, getting utilized differently. However, I did say this. I did say I still thought I was going to have Keenan Allen ranked ahead of him rest of season because no matter what the game script is, no matter what the situation is, last week proved that Keenan Allen was always going to be right there about to get double-digit targets. And it was no different in this game. He had nine targets in this one, six receptions, 75 yards. But because he's the safety blanket, he doesn't get sent down the field on big plays. Because he's not, you know, the big ogre Mike Williams is, He's not necessarily the first red zone target. He's, not, he's never been a big touchdown guy to begin with. I think now at this point, out of five games, four great ones out of Mike Williams and the offense that he's running, he's just getting more of the big-time fantasy points. He's getting the deeper throws. He's getting the touchdowns, and he's getting all the in-between. Outside of last week, he's been double-digit targets every other game. I think we have to start looking at Mike Williams as a more valuable fantasy wide receiver than Keenan Allen rest of the way here. I still going to be close to my book. I still think on a consistency basis, Keenan Allen will still be more consistent. But the better fantasy asset really might be Mike Williams the rest of the way. Can't ignore those performances. Can't ignore it. And you love it offensively for everybody. Austin Eckler, tremendous. Five receptions, 53 yards, tacks on a touchdown, gets two touchdowns on the ground. 17 carries, 66, 66 yards. He's a workhorse back. He's a top five fantasy back. You just got to hope he holds up. That's that's it. That's all you're hoping for right now. Just As long as he holds up, he's a top five running back for you every single week. We know Jared Cook is a streaming option. This was not a match against the Cleveland Browns. Now, they wound up scoring a heck of a lot more points than I thought, but this is not a match against the Browns in which I was streaming Jared Cook. You have to look for those matchups and play him as such and you know, just Jekyll Hyde as any other tight end you're streaming out there anyway. Go to the Brown side of the ball. Baker Mayfield played a much better game in this one, and we actually got some fancy relevancy out of everybody else as a result of that. 305 yards and two touchdowns. Now I know, I know everybody here knew, they knew David Njoku was going to be the number one tight end on the week, right? Yeah, you knew that. Seven receptions, 149 yards, a touchdown, seven targets. We knew David Njoku was going to, no. No, we didn't. But this is, a key point of what I've been making all year long, which is you can't trust the Cleveland Browns tight end. 
Austin Hooper regularly is the one, you know, ranked ahead out of everybody constantly in that conversation of the streaming option. He's not. They got a three-man rotation. They all get involved. This game, it happened to be David Njoku goes crazy and helps no one. Unless you played Baker, which I don't think too many people did, especially after last week. So just, just keep that in mind. Other than that, though, Donovan Peoples-Jones, he continues to be involved. Actually, probably from a consistency receiver standpoint, has been the most involved Browns receiver this year. Really has been. And this one, six, six targets, five receptions, 70 yards. OBJ. Now, up until this game, OBJ process-wise had reason for you to be confident. There definitely was a reason to be confident with OBJ process-wise up until this point. This is the first game where the process does not favor the results. Now, did he have the most snaps? Yeah, he did. Did he have the most routes run? Yeah, he did. But there was a much more even split between him, Peoples-Jones, Rashard Higgins, when it came to the routes run. And he got half targets that those two guys got. He got three of their six. This also marks now the third game in a row that OBJ's been mediocre or wise. And Jarvis Landry's on the horizon. And the whole thing about OBJ was, can you put in a wide receiver three performance now? Can you do it while there's no Jarvis Landry? While it makes sense for you to get fed? I don't know what it is. Him and Baker Mayfield, flat out, can't get on the same page. Just can't. And now OBJ at this point kind of falls in the category of an Allen Robinson. Now, Allen Robinson still has much more upside. Don't get it twisted. But in the sense of your only value is your name recognition right now. Meaning if I can sell you for something valuable because your name's OBJ, that's what you have to do. Because you can't drop him. You can't play him. So if you can get something valuable for him that helps you out in these bye weeks because he's Odell Beckham Jr., that's what you got to do. I don't know what that's going to look like. That's why I'm not giving you examples, but that's what you got to look for. As always, Nick Chubb, Cream Hunt, come to play and perform. Nick Chubb, finally, I was waiting for this. It was, it was kind of weird like, at this point. We're used to seeing Chubb get these big, big runs for touchdowns, and it wasn't happening. I was starting to get a little bit worried, but comes in this one, gets a 52-yard touchdown. Looks explosive, looked great. Gets 21 carries again, 161 yards this time around. And it didn't take away from Kareem Hunt at all. Now, I still don't believe, and I know this gets brought up, Kareem Hunt being a touchdown vulture, because in this game, he kind of wound up being. It was one of those situations where it was Nick Chubb's series. He got him all the way down the field. And then by the time he got down the field, you could tell the guy needed a breather. So then Kareem Hunt comes in, he scores. It's frustrating as hell as a Nick Chubb owner, but it's not because Kareem Hunt is the red zone back. It's just the, given the situation. They get Nick Chubb going, man. They just feed him the ball. They just let him bring them down the field. And he's like, I'm out of breath. Then Kareem Hunt goes in. He's more incapable back. He gets two touchdowns in this game, 12 carries, 61 yards, tax on five receptions for 28 yards. And this is why Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are played every single week. Even if you owned them both, you're playing them every single week. Hunt will always be an RB2 flex play for me, and Nick Chubb will always be an RB1. And that doesn't change. So what we're going to do now, I'm going to hit a quick break and come back on the other side. We got a lot more games to recap and talk about. So everybody stay tuned. 
at BellyUpMDFFShow or on your YouTube channel, the MD Saints Football Show. We'll be back with you guys right after this. The NFL is back in action, and so is winning season at MyBookie. With over $500,000 in contest prize money, winning season makes the big games better and the victories even sweeter. Head to MyBookie.ag and choose from a variety of boost contests and promotions up for grabs, highlighted by the crown jewel of winning season, the famed MyBookie Super Contest. And it only costs $10 to enter. Pick five games against the spread each week. Each win earns you a point, and each point gets you closer to the grand prize. If you missed out on week one, don't even sweat it because entries are still open and all it takes is one solid week to get you back in the mix. Don't just take my word for it. Join now and start your winning season with MyBookie today. In order to get you started, make your first deposit at MyBookie.ag and use promo code MDFANTASY to instantly receive double your deposit. That's double your money to double your winnings with your first ever deposit using promo code MDFANTASY. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Welcome back in, MD Nation. Welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, the Week 5 Sunday Recap. We just talked about a few games. we got a, quite a few more to talk about. All the news, all the injuries. It was, whew, man, was it a bad week for injuries. We're streaming to you live on social media, at Show, and of course, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Subscribe. Check us out after the show on the pod streaming apps. Spreaker, Spotify, iHeart, iTunes. We'll be back tomorrow night from 7 to 8 p.m. on the Unhinged Radio Network, unhingedsn.airtime.pro, streaming to you live on the Fox D Network. And we'll be back at 10 a.m. on social media at Billy of MDFF Show and YouTube channel. We talk about the primetime recaps and the waiver wire report. But let's continue on with our recap from Sunday. And woo. So New England ekes out <laughs> a close one. But man, oh man, did that look ugly. 25-22, New England comes back, wins this game somehow. Even though they let Davis Mills, who looked like he didn't belong in the NFL at all, go for 312 yards and three touchdowns on what's supposed to be a decent defense. New England's supposed to have a good defense. Just held Tom Brady and the Buccaneers to a 19-point performance the week before. I don't know. It's one of those weird games where sometimes this just, just happens. And you kind of have to be like, yeah, I don't you shake your head like how the hell did that happen? And you wake you walk it off and forget about it because it doesn't actually mean anything from a you know stable sound stamp standpoint moving in the rest of the season. What's sad is that while Davis Mills actually had a good game here, Brandon Cooks, who I knew I had to rank as a wide receiver too, but felt uneasy about it knowing that the Patriots would probably game plan to take him out. Couldn't have a good game, even though Davis Mills surprisingly did. Five targets, three receptions, 23 yards. Now, I'm buying low on Brandon Cooks. Two games in a row, he's been a little bit frustrating after having the hot start that he had. People might be looking at this like, oh, well, the Texans offense is coming back down to earth. Brandon Cooks is coming back down to earth. Now, do I think he's the wide receiver one he was performing as? No. But do I think he's losing the being the guy, being the guy who gets all the volume? Who is the wide receiver on this team? No. No, I don't. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm not trying to remember who's off the top of my head, but they have a good matchup coming up next week. And I'm saying, if you can buy low on Brandon Cooks, buy low on him now because you're not always going to be playing these tough matchups. Remember, they play in the AFC South. Nobody has a defense in the AFC South. Absolutely nobody. So there are more better matchups on the horizon for Brandon Cooks where he can get fed the way they want to feed him and as a result, be a very fantasy valuable asset too. So go ahead and check that out. See if you can get Brandon Cooks for cheap right now after two and a really bad game here, two mediocre games after the hot start. See if people are cooling off on him. Yes, Chris Moore had a great game. You know what his reward was? He got demoted back down to the practice squad today, which, again, just goes to Brandon Cooks is going to be the guy. They're not looking for anybody to take that motivation away from him. Hey, Mark Ingram got 16 carries. Who cares? 41 yards. You only care about Brandon Cooks and the Houston Texans, even with Davis Mills having a good game. Nothing else matters. We'll see if Tyrod Taylor comes back soon. I believe he's eligible this week. Uh, hasn't really been a lot of noise about it, so he may not be coming back till week seven. We'll keep you guys updated on social media, but that doesn't change anything for Brandon Cooks other than you have a little more confidence that there'll be a little bit more consistency offensively for the Texans on a week-to-week basis. Because with Davis Mills, you either get the one you got last week or maybe get the guy you got this week. Who knows what you're going to get? And that is going to fluctuate Brandon Cooks' value as well. So with Tyra Taylor, at least you know exactly what you're going to get. And in his case, because he has his legs, he could even be a streaming quarterback option potentially somewhere down the road too. On the Patriots side of the ball, Damian Harris is going to want to be a minor injury. It sounds like he's actually going to want to be able to play next week. Hurts his ribs. We'll keep an eye on it, but it does sound like, as of now, Harris will be available come week six. Are you super happy about this performance? No, you're hoping for a big performance. I was hoping for a big performance against Houston Texans. But didn't kill you fantasy-wise, especially for a guy who wound up getting hurt in the middle of this game. 14 carries, 58 yards. He still got you a touchdown. So he still provided you fine fantasy services before he got injured. Maybe Ramondre Stevenson will make my waiver wire report as a guide to keep your eye on. But because, again, we expect Harris to come back this week after the results we heard this today, I'm not going to be worrying about that too much. As far as pass catching goes, Brandon Bolin's the pass catcher, but I don't know how much that really matters because he's not James White. He had four targets, four receptions, six yards in this game, a game in which they had to come back from behind, a prototypical you know, James White game. Brandon Bolin's not good. He's just a guy. but. What's annoying is that Josh McDaniels doesn't like playing running backs in in two situations. You're not allowed to be a runner and a and a receiver, apparently, in Josh McDaniels' system. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, the talent, the skill set you possess. Because Damian Harris is a better pass catcher than Brandon Bolden is. He is, plain and simple. They can say all they want about the pass protection. At this point, a couple years in the league, I got to think he's at least a competent pass protector, at least knows a little bit what he's doing. Enough so that you're not rolling out boring old Brandon Bolden who can't do anything anymore. I just, I don't get that point. But Harris will continue to be an RB3 who will be matchup dependent and to some degree touchdown dependent as well because he's not going to get that safe floor of the passing game. 
Jacoby Myers continues to be a wide receiver three. You can play at five targets, four receptions, 56 yards in this game. None of the other receivers you care about. The only other thing that's kind of interesting about New England is the tight end situation. Hunter Henry, six receptions, 75 yards, a touchdown on eight targets, was a leading pass catcher in this game. Janu Smith, two targets, two receptions, 27 yards. Now, this is part of a trend that we've seen now for the past couple of weeks where Hunter Henry, even though they how much they love Janu Smith and gave Janu Smith the longer contract and, and, and everything else, Hunter Henry has been starting to play ahead of Janu Smith when it comes to actually being a pass catcher tight end. Janu's out there just as many snaps. They both had 40 snaps in this game, but the problem is he's turned into a pure blocker, surprisingly enough. It's very odd, but that's what's happened. Hunter Henry had 25 routes run to Janu Smith's eight. Eight targets to his two. I mean, this is the type of thing that we're talking about, and this is now the second week in a row where we're starting to see this trend go that way. If this continues... Instead of New England not having a tight end that you can utilize, it might be Hunter Henry, who can we start to talk about in that streaming territory, which really, frankly, would be good news because we need to find more tight ends that we could talk about in that streaming territory because this is brutal as it normally is. Let's talk about Minnesota and Detroit. 1917. Let's put these 1917 games for Detroit. Man, they should have won this game. They should have won this game. Really bad for Detroit. They are probably one of the best 0-5 teams I could ever think of because, man, they're in every game. They haven't been out of it once. The only game I can think of was Chicago. They were never really in that game, but even that was a 24-14 stat line. It wasn't like they got blown out. Should have won this game. Couldn't do it. Minnesota, though, I want to give them a lot of credit. They made the right decision when it came to Dalvin Cook. They made the right decision. Don't get them hurt. You're playing against Detroit. You don't need them for the win as you got proven here. Now, you did almost lose, but it was because Alexander Madison didn't give you Dalvin Cook-level production. I mean, 25 carries, 113 yards, seven receptions, 40 yards, and a touchdown on seven targets. He was the second-leading pass catcher. He was great. He was phenomenal in this game. So Madison is now twice in a row when the guy who gets all the work can put up RB1 level numbers, which is all you're looking for out of the handcuff of Dalvin Cook. So Madison has to continue to be owned, obviously. I just should go without saying. But he's proven now he's gotten that monkey off his back where it's like, oh, well, is, is he really that good? Because when given the opportunity, not really capitalizing. No, he's capitalized now. So you can trust Madison to be that one-for-one handcuff, clearly, because he's getting the full workload. We'll see with Dalvin Cook. We'll see if he's able to come back next week. I mean, the fact that it was a game-time decision, a true game-time decision, gives you some hope that maybe if he can get some practice sessions together, he'll be good. But remember this week, he didn't practice at all until Friday got a little bit of limited work in. We need to see him practice on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, and on a Friday before we can feel very confident in Dalvin Cook being back to being Dalvin Cook heading into that Sunday. Maybe that's week. Maybe it's not. We'll keep our eye on it. Justin Jefferson, eight targets. Seven receptions, 124 yards, starting to reassert himself as the number one receiver. This is not a 1A, 1B situation. Past couple of weeks, Jefferson has dominated routes run. He's dominated targets. And once again, Adam Thielen, he doesn't score. He's a fantasy bust. It's pretty much, it's that simple. Two receptions and 40 yards, barely involved in this game. Yes, this was not a high-scoring game. Yes, they didn't have to throw the ball a ton against Detroit throughout this game. 
But Norfolk could be considered a 1A, 1B. You can't get left in the dust when it comes to the process. That's what's happening here with Justin Jefferson, reasserting himself as the number one receiver. In case you were wondering where K.J. Osborne has been, he still operates as a third receiver. But again, Tyler Conklin and him, I feel like kind of splitting the work in that area of that middle part of the field. This offense is really only built for Jefferson, for the running game, and then for Thielen to get his touchdowns. Outside of that, anything's a bonus. Nothing else can really be counted on. So I wouldn't look at this as a situation where you can ever count on a K.J. Osborne. Like his talent, like the flashes he had, same thing goes for a Conklin. But unless they're in shootout games, people not named Jefferson, not named Thielen, not named you know, Dalvin Cook or Alexander Madison, depending on who the starting running back is that day, are going to ever really consistently be involved. Kirk Cousins was a huge disappointment. I had Kirk Cousins as a must-start. I had him as a QB1 against Detroit. I don't think you could blame me for that, but 275 yards, one touchdown, one interception, they ain't going to get the job done. So he's not going to finish where I had him ranked at. But he's still a streaming quarterback, I believe, more times than not, especially when these type of matchups present themselves. On the Lions side of the ball, Nothing really changes too much. You have the disappointment of TJ Hawkinson. Two receptions, 22 yards, and three targets. Now it's been three games in a row. I do think you legitimately could buy low on a TJ Hawkinson. Remember, bye weeks are coming up. This is a hard injury week. Team's sitting there, and they're two and three, one and four, maybe even 0 and five. Their season's on the cusp of falling off the hinges. They got injuries. They got buys. You got TJ Hawkinson, who they'd be willing to ship off to you for maybe a, another okay tight end and another player. I'd buy on that because Hawkinson's still going to be the most trustworthy pass catcher on a week-to-week basis. I know it hasn't looked like what it did the first two weeks, but he's still a very good tight end. He's still the main piece in this offense. Quintez Cephas, he goes down. He might be out for the year. Maybe Tyrell Williams comes back. Maybe St. Brown starts to continue to establish himself. Hawkinson's still the number one pass catcher. He's still the number one red zone target, even in that scenario. Now, I like what I saw at St. Brown this week. Eight targets, seven receptions, 65 yards. But again, we got to see when Tyrell Williams, when does he come back? When he does come back, does he just take over the Cephas role? When that happens, does St. Brown get the targets he needs? Because St. Brown has to get eight-plus targets a game if he's ever going to truly be a fantasy asset has to if that doesn't consistently happen then you're not talking about a big play guy you're not talking about a touchdown guy but i do have my eye on him and he's starting to i believe he's starting to take the next step up he's starting to get closer and closer to that sleeper territory that i had him in heading into this process as a potential late wide receiver that might be valuable to you guys especially in half point full point ppr leagues down the road he's heading that way but he's not quite there yet DeAndre Swift, Jamar, uh, Jamal Williams. It's very frustrating. Jamal Williams has now outcarried Swift two games in a row, being how much of a home run threat he is, why he they won't just let him get the ball a little bit more. I fully understand this is going to be a 50-50 split when it comes to the carries. But still, Swift should be getting, it should be 55-45. Especially when you have a total lack of playmakers. Swift's got to get the ball a little bit more than what he does. Now, I don't, you're not going to be worried about Swift after this game. He had 100 yards total. He had the touchdown. 
He continues to get what you need him in the past game, six receptions, 53 yards, one of the top targets on the team. And Jamal Williams continues to not actually be involved in the passing game, which a little surprising to me. That's usually been his bread and butter that he does get involved in that aspect. But the big thing is why you don't panic on a Swift when you see Williams out carrying for the second week in a row. He once again played more than double the snaps Jamal Williams did. And as long as he has that safe floor of the pass-catching attack, think of it this way. Think of it as a James Conner, Chase Edmonds, but Chase Edmonds being allowed to score touchdowns once in a while. That's what you pretty much have with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. Chase Edmonds has been an RB2, not allowed to score touchdowns. DeAndre Swift has been an RB1 because he can he is allowed to score touchdowns sometimes. That's not going to change. So there's nothing else to really talk about, be concerned with there. Let's dive into Tennessee and Jacksonville. Urban Meyer, all the Urban Meyer jokes you can possibly think of. Oh man, what a rough! I just that's kind of just hit me. What a rough week for coaches. John, yeah, the John Gruden thing tonight, the Urban Meyer thing last week. Coaches, man, can't keep themselves out of the news. Talk about the players. It's the coaches you got to watch out for. Jacksonville. I mean, they they were weird. First of all, you're happy, of course, about James Robinson. 18 carries, 149 yards, a touchdown. He's still the lead pass catching back. Here's the problem. Not saying much, obviously, the one target, but still more than Hyde. Carlos Hyde, though, five carries, 13 yards. Still coming in some key situations, but Robinson, for all intents and purposes, is the workhorse. So you have an RB2 in your hands from here on out. That's the good news. And also, I'll say this, Robinson, and this goes before this week, but Robinson proving he's legitimately good. It wasn't just a one-week wonder. It wasn't just because he had our one-year wonder. It wasn't just because he had all the volume in the world last year. He's proving this year he's legitimately a good NFL running back. This is not a fluke. So you like that. You also like that Trevor Lawrence, once again, used his legs and got you another rushing touchdown, carried the ball seven times, set 28 yards on the ground, 273 yards to the air, touchdown, a pick. That's what you want to see. Trevor Lawrence getting his way back into streaming quarterback territory because he's using his legs. Excellent. Here's what was weird. LaVisca Chenault gets three targets. Marvin Jones gets five. They both only get one reception apiece. Now, Chenault, of course, got the 58-yarder. Jones gets 25 on his lone reception. Jamal Agnew had eight targets. Tavon Austin had five. That's a fluke. That will not continue. DJ Shark did not go down for them to suddenly turn the ball over to Tavon Austin and Jamal Agnew. Trust me. LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones are still guys that you should consider being target consolidated guys moving forward. There's no doubt in my mind that they still still should be considered in that light. So while this was weird, agreed, I'm not overly concerned about it. You can still play these guys in certain matchups like you would and expect them to be involved. Here's something you do want to look at, though. Dan Arnold. We're always trying to look for tight ends. Six receptions, 64 yards, eight targets in this game. Eight targets is the key. They wanted to go to him quite a bit when they traded for him on a short week against Cincinnati. Barely a time to even learn the playbook. And he was out there most of the time 
and they were trying to get him the ball. So I don't think this is a fluke for Dan Arnold. There's eight targets, six or seven, 64. I'm not saying he's going to get eight targets every single game, but I don't think this in general was a fluke on how they want to utilize him. I think he will be a consistent pass catcher and therefore a dart throw sleeper tight end. You guys can probably pick up and stream. Now Tennessee side of the ball. Um, Oh, what happened to Derrick Henry? He finally had a week where he didn't get plus 30 carries. No, he just gets 29 for another three touchdowns on 130 yards. <laughs> Look, he was my RB1 heading to this game. I knew he was going to have a big game against Jacksonville. You knew that was coming. It's just insane. The carries, this guy, he's going to get well over 400 carries. He keeps his up. Well over 400 carries. I was crazy because the way he's built, you almost think you still might be able to actually be able to do that and make it all year without getting hurt. Like It's possible. Just the way he's built, he's just a different animal. Here's what's happening, though. Ryan Tannehill's not sharp. Hasn't been at all this season. Even when they go to play action, he's not that sharp. We'll talk about A.J. Brown in a second, but a lot of the woes in the passing game right now for the Tennessee Titans, why, you know, when Julio is out there besides the one game, why A.J. Brown's been a disappointment up until this point. Ryan Tannehill's not as sharp, is not in simpatico with those guys like he normally would be, especially A.J. Brown. Sailing a lot of balls. Just looks like he's out of rhythm. Now, part of that could be, you know, Derrick Henry's gobbling up so many carries. They're running the ball more than they're passing the ball. He's not allowed to get in rhythm, but that's not really much different than what it's been the past couple of years under Arthur Smith anyway. I mean, Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball 22 times, that's not something that's out of the norm. Usually tries to help you out with his legs. He only had 21 yards. He didn't have a touchdown in this one. Now, you want him to throw the ball more than 22 times, but him throwing the ball less than 30 times, I mean, that's something you kind of expect with Ryan Tannehill is the efficiency, is the mobility, neither of which he's using this season. And that's what's killing him from a fantasy standpoint, but it's also, in turn, what's killing A.J. Brown now. Because now he's not good. You can buy low on A.J. Brown. Do it. He's a star receiver. They'll get this thing under control. This game in particular, he did not have the most snaps out of the wide receivers, which means you know that he was, in fact, on a limited snap count base. Marcus Johnson played ahead of him. So working back from the hamstring, he practiced in full Thursday, practiced in full Friday, didn't have a setback in this game. A.J. Brown's going to get going. And we know once he gets going, he's like a freight train. There's no stopping him. We don't know what's going on with Julio Jones. We don't know when he's going to be back. They're being very shady about you know the degree of the hamstring injury in the first place. It took us a full week to even find out for sure that it was a hamstring injury. So I expect better days ahead for A.J. Brown and soon. Because there is going to be a target consolidation around him once he's back to full playing which I expect this week upcoming. So this might be one of the last few chances you get to buy low on A.J. Brown. I highly recommend that you guys take the opportunity to do so. Let's talk about the Saints and the Washington football team. Nothing changes for me for the Saints. I know we saw Marquez Callaway catch two touchdowns in this game, go for eight targets finally. Deontay Harris had a nice bomb in this game. Michael Thomas could be back week seven. They're going into their bye this week. They're nothing worth trusting. I'm not picking up a Marquez Cali, especially not going into a bye with these guys. 
So ultimately, from a fantasy standpoint, all I care about is Alvin Kamara. And of course, everybody has a smile on their face because this guy finally had eight targets, tied with Callaway for the most on the team, five receptions, 51 yards, and a touchdown. That's the line you want to see because Alvin Kamara is supposed to be this half-point and full-point PPR monster. So it makes him an elite RB1. And while you're not going to be mad about the 20-plus carries he's been getting a game, and he's been getting over 100 yards and getting touchdowns pretty consistently still, you want to see him be utilized in the passing game this way to give him that floor. So they do have a game where he doesn't score. You don't have to necessarily worry about him being a complete bust for you. That's the good news. He still gave you a good game on the ground, too. 16 carries, 71 yards, and a touchdown. By the way, Washington stinks. All the Chase Young, that defensive line, all the glory they have. We knew the secondary wasn't going to be good, Chris and I. We warned you guys. I did not think their front seven was going to be this horrible. They stink. You can play anybody and anything you want against them right now. They got no answers. On the flip side, Antonio Gibson, great game. Two touchdowns on the ground, 20 carries. Wasn't very efficient, but you weren't expecting him to get two touchdowns against New Orleans Saints anyway. Still, still not getting the passing work. Two targets again. So he's maintaining his two-target average with the exception of week one. Jamie McKissick, four targets, still running more routes on key situations like third and longs and two-minute drills. Nothing changed there. Adam Humphreys stepped in. DeAndre Carter stepped in. They played more prominent roles with Curtis Samuel out. All you care about is Terry McLaurin, which he didn't have a great game in this one. Four receptions, 46 yards, but he still had 11 targets. Just keep feeding that volume more times than not. He'll be that high-end wide receiver, too, you drafted him to be. Here's the one that's interesting is Ricky Seals-Jones. So we know Logan Thomas, he's going to be out for a while. Ricky Seals-Jones had eight targets in this game, five receptions, 41 yards. Curtis Samuel's back to being week-to-week. He picks up the groin injury. Somebody's going to have to establish themselves as a consistent second pass catcher. That person very well may be Ricky Seals-Jones. We know what Adam Humphreys is. DeAndre Carter's been a journeyman to this point. There's a real chance Ricky Seals-Jones is going to be that second pass catcher for this team. And another streamable tight end option that you desperately need. All right, so what I want to do is I'm going to take a quick break, come back on the other side, wrap up the rest of these games. So everybody stay tuned on the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back with you guys right after this. Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless. Unless. We swap first round picks. Fantasy football draft season is upon us. It's time for you to put the PP back in the PPR league with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming just launched the new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers' front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. This will help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. And good news for our international listeners. Their life-changing products are now available in Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. All with the 20% off and free international shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY today. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. 
Welcome back in, MD Nation. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on social media at Show, And, of course, on our YouTube channel, subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Hit us up on your favorite pod streaming app after the show, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Spreaker, wherever. And, of course, hit us back. We'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. with our primetime recaps and waiver wire report. All right, let's wrap up the rest of these games from Sunday afternoon. Talk about Pittsburgh, talk about Denver in this one. We have a lot of the same characters, getting a lot of consistency. Now, here's the good thing. It's a tough Denver Bronco Diva, especially to run on. Najee Harris finally had a great game on the ground. 23 carries, 122 yards, 5.3 yards a carry, and a rushing touchdown. Still tacked on about two couple catches, 20 yards, five targets in this game. That's what you need to see. And Pittsburgh winning this game, that's a big reason why. Because they were actually able to run the ball effectively, take some pressure off of Ben Roethlisberger, be able to utilize play action, not have to be in shotgun spread every single play where everybody knows what's coming. They were able to mix it up. Deontay Johnson, shockingly, only had two targets in this game. However, comes away with the 50-yard touchdown, 72 yards total on the day. So you're okay from a fantasy standpoint. And you know what? More times than not, Deontay's going to have double-digit targets. So I'm not going to worry about the, the utilization standpoint from that whatsoever. You're just happy that he still had a good fantasy day. He only had two targets on the day. It's not going to happen very often. Chase Claypool. He has the big game. Five receptions, 130 yards, a touchdown, and six targets. That's not the storyline for Chase Claypool. Storyline is that Juju Smith-Schuster is out for the year with a shoulder injury. He's going to have surgery on. That's, I mean, that's good news for Claypool and Deontay because now you get more target consolidation around those two. Claypool now goes from being a guy that was eh, borderline, do you start him, do you not, home boomer bust kind of guy, to now I think he's solidified as a wide receiver three and may have more upside than that now that he'll be more focused in on the rotation, on the target distribution because also James Washington's hurt. So it, this is really going to revolve around Claypool and Johnson and Najee Harris coming out of the backfield moving forward. Do so you like, you know, at this point, I don't think anybody was really depending upon Schuster to be a key point. So at this point, you have to like it from a fantasy standpoint that it's going to be more centralized around the three guys that you care about in the first place. Pat Freermuth, maybe he turns into something down the road. I'm not holding my breath on it, though. Him and Eric Ebron were more even on the routes run in this game, so he's not quite going to be on that tight end streaming radar either. And Rosberger is just, you're not playing him. You just want him out there to get the guys that you need to get the ball. On Denver's side, Bridgewater was able to clear concussion protocol. And Cortland Sutton, great game. Seven receptions, 120 yards, a touchdown, 11 targets. Really, I'm, I'm shocked. I really am. I didn't think after a guy who picked up an ankle sprain on Friday, a game-time decision on Sunday against a good defense in the Pittsburgh Steelers with a quarterback who just cleared concussion protocol, was going to be able to waltz in there and have a huge game. I thought it was very unlikely, that scenario. Now, Cortland Sutton's a star, and you guys all know that I love him. And you also know that Teddy Bridgewater has proven, especially in this case, why he's needed for this offense to be as good as they can be. So it was just surprising to see. But now you have some expectations with Cortland Sutton, some more confidence with Cortland Sutton moving forward. I'll say this, though. He's only had two good games out of five. So he's going to continue to be more in that high-end wide receiver three range for me in what's just a slow pace, low-scoring offense, ultimately. But 
with Hamler out, Judy still out, you have some confidence in the target consolidation around Sutton. Noah Fant, normally speaking, although he didn't really get the job done in this game. And Tim Patrick, who had nine targets for seven receptions, 89 yards. It continues to be a low-end wide receiver three, high-end wide receiver four. You continue to play in your flex as long as he is given the opportunity to be a starter because he just finds a way to produce. You continued here. He's a guy you can play. The time for Javante Williams is coming. It is. Trust me, guys, it's coming. It's not happening as fast as we would want it to happen, but it's coming. He had eight carries, 61 yards, seven yards of carry in this one. Three receptions, 25 yards, three targets. Now, this is the first time he's worked a little bit more ahead of Melvin Gordon on the uh, routes run aspect. Remember, Melvin Gordon is dealing with a little bit of injury too, but Gordon still outsnapped him. So neither one of these guys could be considered more an RB3 still, and I wasn't going to try to play either one of them against the Steelers. They were, they were outside of my flex range for me. This is not a matchup I'm picking on even when I have good running backs. Although they've been a little bit more susceptible as of late, though. We'll keep an eye on that. But in better matchups, they're still RB3s. And I do believe Williams is proving each week he is the better running back. I do think it's going to come. It might not come till we're in week 11, week 12. But I do think it is going to come at some point, even if whether there's an injury to Melvin Gordon or not. Let's move in to the Carolina-Philly game. Jalen Hurts. I mean, look, this guy hasn't scored less than 20 fantasy points in any game, and that continued here. I've heard some few leaks. I was sweating bullets till the fourth quarter. because I'm like, I'm about to get four points out of my quarterback. Typically speaking, you can't win when you get four points out of your quarterback. However, Jalen Hurts uses his legs, finds a way, shows you why he's been a QB one all week long, why he's number top five quarterback all year long so far. Gets two rushing touchdowns and completely just saves your day. And did it on a wave for the Eagles to win. So everybody can get off of Jalen Hurts' back on that front, too. That's the good news. Devonta Smith continues to be a target monster. Seven receptions, 77 yards, eight targets. He's got a nice floor. He's always going to be, shouldn't say always, nine times out of ten, he's going to be the number one pass catcher for the Philadelphia Eagles. So he has a nice floor to his game. What was different about this game? Miles Sanders. 11 carries, 45 yards, five receptions, only six yards on five targets. Chris and I talked about going into that. It's been pathetic that he was basically been not allowed to touch the ball, even though when he has, he's been pretty good. But he wasn't good in this one. He finally got to touch the ball, finally had, what, 16 t- touches total, which is what you would want for a Miles Sanders. This wasn't very good. It's only 47 yards total, or 51 yards total, excuse me. No touchdowns. This was the first game that Kenneth Gainwell was not involved and was not the more productive pass catcher. Or should I say having more routes run pass catcher. Now they did win this game, but they barely won this game. And the offense largely was ineffective. I don't think that's going to stand. I think the thing's going to go back to Kenneth Gainwell soon. So don't move on Gainwell because he wasn't involved. Like, oh, I thought he was trending in the direction of taking over. Now they're back to Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders is not impressed in this game. So I I am kind of questioning how this is going to be moving forward. On Carolina's side of the ball, DJ Moore, better days are ahead. Five receptions, 42 yards, seven targets. He is the only Panthers wide receiver that I care about. Robbie Anderson still got seven targets again in this game. He's in the game plan on paper. 
but Sam Darnold can't hit him. Oh, and Sam Darnold had a more Sam Darnold-like game in this one. 177 yards, three interceptions. Like, ah, that's the Darnold I know. I know he's been having a good season. I crap on him all the time. I'm sorry, he's not a good quarterback. He's just not. I don't Adam Gase, no Adam Gase, I don't care. Now he's because he's got Joe Brady and because he has offensive weapons, he's gonna have games where he looks good in this team. But he's not actually a good quarterback. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna throw that out there while I have the opportunity to do so. But DJ Moore, I'm not worried about him, and he's the only one I care about. Chuba Hubbard, it was weird, right? Hubbard, he, he was an RB2 for me this week. He had a great game 24 carries, 100 yards, five receptions, 33 yards, and six targets. The reason I couldn't rank him higher is because last week we saw Rodney Smith was the pass catching back. This week, fast forward, Rodney Smith's not targeted once, he's barely even out there. Hubbard played as the workhorse running back. So if what it does give you confidence for is that don't drop Hubbard, whether you're the McCaffrey owner or not, don't drop Hubbard because you have a high-end handcuff on your hands. And now we've seen in this game, okay, maybe they are going to be willing to give him a Christian McCaffrey workload if McCaffrey re-injures that hamstring injury. So something to keep in mind, you don't move on from Hubbard. This is the kind of performance you wanted to see. This is the utilization you wanted to see. We've got it in this matchup, so you feel confident about that moving forward. Tampa and Miami. Woo, 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 woo. Tampa Bay came to play. I think Brady might have been a little bit pissed off that he didn't play very well against New England. I- I'm just going to put that out there because he comes back with a vengeance. They didn't even have to score points in this game, and they were 411 yards, five passing touchdowns, 41 pass attempts in a game in which you won 45-17, to 17 and you were, besides the first quarter, were winning the game the whole way. I mean, there's just no letting up the Bruce Arian system. It's a beautiful thing to see as a fantasy football owner. You love the performance of all three receivers. I know Evans and Brown were the ones who got the two touchdowns and the ones that went over 100 yards. But if you're a Chris Godwin owner, you can't be mad that your bad game, the game that Godwin quote-unquote got left out of, still resulted in seven receptions for 70 yards on 11 targets. You can't be upset about that at all. Now, they play Thursday night against the Philadelphia Eagles. There's talk that Rob Gronkowski might be back. While that ultimately doesn't really affect my ranking on any of the three receivers, it does create a bigger floor-to-ceiling ratio. Because now when a receiver gets left out, they might also be getting left out because Rob Gronkowski, they might really get left out. So that that's the only thing. We saw that in the first couple of weeks. Everyone's taking turns. I still have all three receivers as top 24 receivers. That has not changed since the draft process, really. Because one of the few had Antonio Brown's on my top 24. And Gronk is a top eight tight end. So if he plays this Thursday, he's a no-brainer, no question about it. You start him. Start him right away. By the way, in this game, O.J. Howard... Actually, not that the Titans were very involved in the passing game at all, but OJ Howard actually had more routes run than Cameron Brake did. Now, it's going to be all for not, especially since it sounds like Gronk's going to come back this Thursday, which is kind of an interesting thing there. After watching Brake be the lead pass catcher, OJ Howard being the main blocker, kind of looked like they were trying to give OJ Howard a little bit more of an opportunity in this game. But the receivers dominated so much that nobody outside the receivers is really going to get much passing work. Letter for Nets did operate ahead of G.O.M. Bernard. In the passing game as well, you like to see that. Bernard to get the passing touchdown. Now, was it just a situation where they're trying to let him work back from injury? Possibly. 
I still think Bernard is the better pass catcher amongst the running backs in Tampa Bay. Probably the most effective one, especially in two-minute drill. So we'll see if that continues. But if he can be out there and Leonard Fournette still get a workhorse role amongst this backfield, he'll continue to be an RB2. Gets a rushing touchdown, 12 carries, 67 yards, had the four reception, 43 yards in this game. He'll If he can get this kind of a workload on this offense, he'll be an RB2 week in and week out. Ronald Jones... He's still nothing. He wasn't involved. 10, 10 snaps. 10 snaps in this game. Five carries, 21 yards. He's left out. This is Leonard Fournette's backfield. I could see Bernard getting worked in as a pass catching back in certain situations. But as far as Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette are concerned, move aside. This is Leonard Fournette's backfield. On the Dolphins side, last game that we have to suffer through with Jacoby Brissett. And now whether that changes anything, I don't know. Because if Devontae Parker dealing with hamstring injuries, Will Fuller on IR, we don't know when he's coming back. So when Tua does come back, he might only have Waddle and Mike Gusecki to throw the ball to. <laughs> so, so the Wolves might not go away. But what about Miles Gaskin? 10 targets, 10 receptions, 74 yards, 2 touchdowns. That's all in the passing game. Rushing, 5 carries, 25 yards. Five yards of carry. He's gotten five yards of carry every single week, and he still can't get double-digit carries. That's a good Tampa Bay. It's a good Tampa Bay. Nobody can run on Tampa Bay. Now, clearly they came with the game plan that they're going to throw the ball to the running back, so it favored Miles Gaskin coming off of a week where he had just over 10 snaps, period, in the game. Malcolm Brown dominated. It's absolutely insane. After we make him a drop, well, guess what? If you did drop him last week, you're going to have to pick him up. But <laughs> their ho- the hope is this. After a performance like that, your hope is the Dolphins realize, the coaching staff that is, we Miles Gaskin's the best running back. And for a team that's hurting so badly for playmakers because you have Parker and Will Fuller hurt, you can't waste a guy who's this good out of the backfield, especially catching the football, and having him play as the third running back on your team. So maybe this could be a wake-up call for the Dolphins coaching staff and allow Miles Gaskin to do what he's supposed to do and be a fantasy asset. That's what you're hoping for out of this. That's what you need. And it should happen, but logic has not always reigned supreme, especially when it comes to the Miles Gaskin situation. Something to watch moving forward, though. Jalen Waddell, only two receptions, 31 yards. Mike Kosicki, four receptions, 43 yards. Really kind of disappointing when you consider how this game went and who was left on the field. But better days, I believe, for both of them are ahead. Two Tagovailoa is back, so there should be better days for the offense in general ahead. Got the Green Bay Packers, Cincinnati Bengals. I thought this game was going to be a shootout. It didn't wind up happening quite the way I was anticipating. 25-22, the game even goes in the overtime. I saw on the Bengals side of the ball. Joe Burrow you know, got to, went to the hospital, yes, for a throat contusion. He's fine. He's going to play this week. Had an uneven performance at times, but kept the Bengals in the game. Played tough. They had a real shot to win this one, too. 281 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 11 yards on the ground. My real storyline for the Bengals was Joe Mixon. Now, I didn't have Joe Mixon as a start. He was outside of my top 36, even when we found out he was going to be active, because they were up front from the get-go that he was going to be limited, and he, and he was. Now, they used him while he was out there, but snap count-wise, it wasn't even close between him and Samaji Perine, which is what I expected. Really, the Bengals, I think, 
I know they're trying to beat Green Bay. They're trying to get on the win column. Zach Taylor's coaching for his job. I get all that. But I think they made the wrong decision by even having him be active in the first place. Having said that, if you're a Joe Mixon owner, you had to be kind of happy about what you saw, even if you didn't play him. I have him a few leagues. I didn't play him. They had 19 snaps and Samadja Perrine's 41. And again, that goes back to you knew he was going to be limited. But the fact that he had 10 carries off of 19 snaps and a rushing touchdown, which, by the way, he had to make a couple good cuts on to score if you didn't see that. It makes you feel pretty good about, okay, whatever that low ankle sprain is, it's not hindering you too, too bad. He wasn't able to practice again until Saturday. But he had to make a couple good cuts to make that touchdown. So it makes you feel good about heading into next week when we play Detroit. A game in which you want to be able to take advantage of with your running back. I think we have a good shot that Joe Mixon's going to be back to a normal Joe Mixon workload based on what we could see him do on the field this past week. And now, Samaja Perrine had to go on the COVID-19 list, and he did test positive for the virus. So they're probably not going to have Perrine come Sunday, most likely. Which means it's going to be Joe Mixon and Chris Evans. And again, based on what I saw, I think it's a good shot that Mixon could have a workhorse blow this week. So that's what you're happy about. That was a big storyline to me. Everyone else was talking about Jamar Chase. I already know Jamar Chase is great. 10 targets, six receptions, 159 yards, a touchdown. He's a high-end wide receiver, too, with wide receiver a one upside in any given week, even in a return of T. Higgins, who had seven targets, five receptions, 32 yards. By the way, Tyler Boyd, four receptions, 24 yards on five targets. I don't think you can start him if both Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are healthy. You're never going to know in the play. He might still have a couple good games here and there, but they're going to be so few and far between. Good luck to actually starting him when he has a good one. And I don't think he could play. Again, he doesn't have the big play. He doesn't have the touchdown capability when those guys are on the field. I don't know if you could drop him. Maybe you could sell him because he still has a Tyler Boyd name and he's been good for fantasy over the past few years. But I don't know how you're going to play him. So you know what? I'm going to do MD Nation a favor. If you can't sell him off, Prepare to be flushed. We'll just say sayonara to Tyler Boyd altogether. Going to Packers side of the ball, Devontae Adams doing Devontae Adam-like things. 11 receptions, 206 yards, a touchdown on 16 targets. Aaron Rodgers, 344 yards and two touchdowns, getting back into his top 12 QB status. Here's the real storyline. It's the running back situation. So last week, I told you guys I wasn't worried about A.J. Dillon. He got most of his carries when the game was well in hand in the fourth quarter. It was more of a game script situation, why he got as involved as he did after not being very involved, and that this wasn't going to become a committee. Snap-wise, Jones still played more than double the amount of snaps A.J. Dillon did. And this is still Aaron Jones' backfield. However, Dillon did get much more involved in neutral game scripts throughout this game. Nine carries, four targets. Four target thing, and four targets, 49 yards through the air, and a touchdown for A.J. Dillon receiving. That's the scary part. Jones had five targets, four receptions, but only six yards, no touchdowns. That's scary if you're an Aaron Jones guy. Because the one thing that you had with A.J. Dillon was like, okay, he's not Jamal Williams because he's not going to be as involved in the passing game. So even if he does start to eat away at some carries. The floor of the passing game being Aaron Jones was the safety net. If that's not going to be the safety net, and I'd, I'd be shocked if it wasn't, but A.J. Dillon looked look like a better pass catcher than I've ever given him credit for in that game. 
if it's not a given that he'll definitely be the lead pass catcher or he has to share some work with that AJ Dillon there too. Now I start to worry. Now, when I say worry about Aaron Jones, I don't mean like worry isn't like, Oh, how valuable is he going to be now? No, it's maybe instead of having him be somebody that you felt like could finish as the a top five running back for you. Maybe you're talking more about a guy who's somewhere between that eight and 12 range. As far as running backs, still an RB1, but maybe a lower end RB1 rather than an elite top five RB1 that he's been so far this season. Still had a over 100 yards rushing, 14 carries. He's still Aaron Jones. He's still great. But A.J. Dillon having the game he had now, looking good last week. I don't think he goes back to what he was doing the first three weeks, which was not being involved. And hell, even after this game, LaFleur came out and said he wished he got A.J. Dillon more involved in the passing game. So those things are a little bit concerning where I think we have to lower our expectations with Aaron Jones on a weekly basis, but he's still going to be an RB one, but just something to kind of keep in mind. AJ Dillon, if that continues, might be working himself into Tony Pollard flex conversation territory himself soon too. the London game, the Atlanta Falcons and the New York jets. We'll be quick with this one and wrap it up. Corey Davis was disappointing, but he did get the lead amount of targets. Four receptions, 45 yards, seven targets. These are the type of games you can usually play Corey Davis. I'm not coming off it because he had a bad game here. The Jets in general went back to looking like the Jets offensively. Although, I'll say this, the game still wound up being 27-20. to Go figure. Michael Carter led the way in carries. Had only a couple more routes run than Ty Johnson this game, but still had came away with more targets. And he had the touchdown. I know Ty Johnson had a touchdown as well. But Michael Carter, right now, he's a touchdown or a bust RB3. And you still have to wait for plus matchups like the Atlanta Falcons to even think about playing him. But he's getting closer and closer to being that lead back. If this offensive line can improve at all, Michael Carter, I think, will be an RB3 more times, not in the future. But they still need this to improve. Jameson Crowder, four receptions, 24 yards, six targets. It was a disappointing performance all around for the pass catchers. I still think from a PPR standpoint, he's a valuable asset to have. Then you go to the Atlanta Falcons side. Kyle Pitts, welcome to the NFL. Nine receptions, 119 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. What's funny here to me is that even without Calvin Ridley, you knew Kyle Pitts was going to be very much involved target-wise. But he really didn't get that many more targets this game than he has any other week. Remember, this is a guy who's been getting eight to nine targets anyway. So this game, he gets 10 but the real thing being the effectiveness, he was throwing the ball down the field. He was a red zone guy. And even when Calvin really comes back, like I said, the target load, he really didn't get any like extra targets because Calvin really was gone. Now, Cordell Patterson did. He got nine targets in this game, seven or seven, 60 yards. He lined up at receiver more than he has at any point this season. Hayden Hurst got more involved in the pass game as a result of that too. But look, this offense, it's Pitts, it's Patterson, it's Ridley when he comes back. And if you have to, Mike Davis is a flex running back. Now he came over with an okay game, 13 carries, 53 yards, and a, a rushing touchdown. He still continues to play snap-wise ahead of everyone, including Cordell Patterson. But if this guy doesn't get in the end zone, you really don't have much of an upside. So he's an he's an RB, a volume-based RB3 that you only want to play if they have a decent matchup and if you have no other choice. Here's what I will say. I guess the good news is if you have Mike Davis, I was a little bit worried after last week when I saw the utilization report for Wayne Gallman 
that maybe he was going to start just losing the job altogether to Wayne Gallman next. That didn't happen in this game. Wayne Gallman went back to being not really worked in in any capacity. So I do think you're safe as far as that goes, at least for a little while longer anyway, but it doesn't really change the value in any capacity. Cordell Patterson, 14 carries, 54 yards. I want to mention that because he actually was very much utilized. So even though he didn't score in this game, still gives you the safe floor. He's always going to be involved in the passing game. And I think Patterson's just, he's just here to stay. He's here to stay for this year. He is the playmaker, the weapon for Arthur Smith in this offense. He's here to stay. I don't think that goes away. Hey guys, that's going to do it for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, we're going to be back at 10 a.m. tomorrow on social media at BillyUpMDFF Show. We're going to talk about the primetime recaps and the waiver wire report. Make sure you check out this episode in your favorite pod streaming app. And make sure you check us out on the radio unhinged network, unhingedsn.airtime.pro from 7 to 8 p.m. on Tuesday night. Guys, take it easy. Everyone be well. We'll talk to you soon.